This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit on 7 to 9 a.m. Visit us on www.kpulpit.co.za. We're going to be celebrating International Women's Day on Voice of Change with myself, Lauren Jacobs, today. And we're going to be celebrating this a little bit early because International Women's Day actually falls on the 8th of March, which is on Monday. But we're going to be having a pre-Women's Day celebration here on the show. You know, March is also Women's History Month. It's a month where we consider the contributions of women to our societies. You know, not only to our societies today, but historically and you know everywhere where women have been which is from the beginning of creation right until this very very day women have been contributing to homes societies everywhere businesses you know leadership whatever women have been doing they've been doing it really really well and history has not made that much of women because history is still learning a lot about women's stories and that's part of the you know celebration of international women's day as well thinking about women who are around today who are really really doing incredible things for our world and for this society that we all live in this global world that we all inhabit that God has so blessed us with and so today on the show I'm going to be chatting to someone incredibly interesting who is going to be sharing with us about life in a female monastery. Now, this is quite interesting because I did a poll on my social media to find out how many people who would actually be interested in living in a monastery, not as a monastic, but actually as someone who would like to visit or just journey through or have a retreat out in a monastery. And you will be interested to know that over 75% of people said that they would love to visit a monastery and so I'm going to get into that today with Constantina Palmer. Now she lives in a quaint province on Canada's Atlantic coast and she also lived in South Korea teaching English and she also lived in Greece for almost six years and during that time she received a master's degree in theology and she also wanted to not just learn from books about life you know religious life and spiritual life but she actually wanted to learn what was happening in women's monasteries throughout northern Greece and that is exactly what she did she started visiting monasteries and so currently today she is no longer in Greece but she lives with her husband who is an orthodox Christian priest and they live in the Canadian province of Newfoundland and Labrador and so she was given the honorary title of Matushka which means little mother in Russian and she assists her husband in his service of the only orthodox Christian parish on the island of Newfoundland and it's so interesting because she's written to two books and one of her books is actually called The Scent of Holiness Lessons from a Woman's Monastery and she learned so much that she has so much to share with us on Voice of Change and Radio K Pulpit. So don't go anywhere. Constantina is going to be with us and there's so many questions I have to ask her. I cannot wait to get into this interview. Constantina, I want to say thank you so much for being with me today on Voice of Change. I know we are going to have such a fantastic conversation and I know that a lot of what you are going to be sharing with us today is going to be not only inspiring but it's also going to be quite soul touching. So firstly, I want to say thank you so much for being with me today and welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Now, you know what? 
I want to first ask you, how did you become interested in visiting, you know, female monasteries? How did this become something that was kind of placed inside of your heart and your journey began for that? What was the kind of seed that was sown? I think initially, um, when my family and I had first encountered orthodoxy, we had been recommended to visit a monastery. So we went down to a monastery in the United States, a male monastery in Arizona. Hmm. And that was prior to that, you know, we had had a lot of interest in the early church and in the lives of the saints in general. Hmm. But that first experience at an Orthodox monastery was something for me that Finally, I could see in front of me the pragmatic examples that I was reading about in the gospel. And so immediately, I was very inspired and very enthused by monasticism in general. Mm. I have, you know, I think as a, as a young female at that time, that was about 15 years ago, I had an especial interest in what that monasticism looked like in female communities, because a lot of the times we hear a lot about monastics that are male. We hear a lot about the Desert Fathers. Um, We hear even the Apostles, you know. So I wanted to see what does this spirituality look like in a community of women. So fast forward a few years, we were, uh, we had moved to Greece because my husband was doing his PhD. And uh, so in order to live in Greece, I also actually enrolled in school to do my master's. Mm. But it was a perfect opportunity because Greece is replete with monasteries for me to start to visit women's monasteries. I had only visited a couple before moving to Greece. And uh, so what I started to do is because I was a student and I had a little bit more freedom in my schedule, I would visit quite often. And what I found was, you know, I had gone to Greece to live there for my husband to study, for us to learn more about orthodoxy. Um, And while I was doing my master's degree, you know, in, in theology there at the university, Aristotle University in Thessaloniki, I was really taking a whole other degree at these women's monasteries. Mm. And that was just such an incredible experience. And I soaked up as much as I could. And even now looking back, we've been we've returned to Canada now about eight years ago, this month actually. And still I look back and think, oh, there was so much I wish still I had. Yeah, I wish I could have soaked up even more, but I'm very grateful for what I was able to to gain from those experiences. Hmm. I think this is so incredible because it's almost like a once in a lifetime experience. You don't hear that this just comes along to anybody. You know, this is a totally divinely ordained experience that you had. And there was one monastery that you visited quite often. Tell us a bit about this particular monastery. What led you to it? So the particular monastery in the book that I talk about, as I sort of set all of my experiences in this one sisterhood, mm. um, but this particular monastery, my godmother had actually recommended I visit it. It's north of Thessaloniki. It's not very far. Um, and she had often gone to visit that when she would uh, go to visit Greece in the summer times. And so I kind of just con- got connected with that one. And then, of course, I also visited other ones. I, mm. on a weekly basis, actually, I went to one just outside of Thessaloniki, just up the hill, where I would do Byzantine chant classes. But this particular monastery that was north of Thessaloniki, it, it was a kind of place that, even apart from the sisters, even apart from the, the love that you would receive from the sisterhood, the monastery itself, because it has a long history of, um, a very long history, centuries of monasticism, as well as 
uh, monastics that were martyred within mm. the walls of that monastery, there's a grace that permeates the air there. So immediately I felt like it was it was really a place that almost was like between heaven and earth. Like it, it the place itself was so sanctified. It's like it talked about in the scriptures, you know, when Moses goes and he, he understands intuitively that the ground that he walks on is holy and he takes his shoes off. The place itself felt like that to me. And so it kind of grabbed my heart in a way that the other monasteries, although I love them, it wasn't the same intense grace that you could feel in that monastery and other places. So the sisters there, there's there's about 25 sisters, I think, at the time when I would visit. Um, and a lot of them were quite young, actually, in their 30s. I would say the average age was mid-30s or 40. Uh, and they were a self-sustaining, they are a self-sustaining monastery. So what that means is all of the work that they do, they do in order to support themselves. They don't work secular jobs. They work within the monastery, whether cleaning or cooking, uh, doing handiwork like embroidery, making, uh, they might paint icons, different things like that in order to be able to simply pay the bills mm -hmm. and live according to that lifestyle of complete focus on Christ and the ability to work while freeing your mind to retain the memory of Christ at all times and keep that before you. Hmm. You know what, you mentioned about martyrs and i know that some of the sisters were actually drawn to stay at this monastery that you're referring to you know because of the martyrs who actually had given their lives at that place and that's the story of monasteries that we don't actually think about a lot you know we just think about it often as being a place of peace for those who haven't been there as you said as well for those you know who maybe haven't visited we see it as a place of of grace and of peace but tell us a little bit about that, because th this particular monastery, like you said, there was a long history of people who had actually been martyred there. And this is a almost a part of the history that we don't think about. You know, we don't think about people who have lost their lives or given their lives over at that particular place and the history of what happened there. So tell us a bit about that, because that, I think, adds to what is happening at the monastery now, even today. It definitely does because this, you know, the history, the life of the gospel, the church, you know, the body of Christ, it isn't a, a moment in time in history 2,000 years ago. It's a living organism. So the fact that there are monastics who were martyred in this one place at a point in time still affects us today, even if it was centuries ago, that they witnessed to their faith in Christ, that they were willing to they, that they would rather be killed in the place that they had come to live for Christ than be taken away. Uh, so in this particular case, what it was is it was invading, it was invading Muslims from a neighboring country. And they had come and they, they pillaged the monastery and they killed the monastics that were, that were there. And they uh, took a lot of actually famous manuscripts uh, from, from that monastery. And so the thing I think for us that's so powerful is the fact that a person who can sacrifice their life for Christ, that the the power of that witness, the influence, the effect, the impact mm. of a person losing their life because they have come to a place to live for Christ, it never fades away. And it helps us to remember that, you know, that's what eternal life is. It's the memory of, I mean, it's not the memory, it's the experience mm. of Christ all at all times. So 
this instant, you know, this historical event still has relevance for us today. And it reminds us how tied together we all are, no matter what century we live in, that as long as we live for Christ, that we live united together in, and we have a kinship and a, a sort of a, a family mentality, essentially, that we all are one with Christ together. And that's also really helpful, I think, when a mona- an individual monastic goes to a place in order to struggle for their own salvation for Christ. A monastic in Greek, you know, monochos, monos means alone, one. Mm-hmm. So a monastic goes, and even though he or she is within a community, the actual struggle that takes place is between the individual soul and their their individual struggle to strive to live for Christ and to live for the gospel precepts to put that into practice on a daily basis. So when that person is in a place where they know someone else has been killed because you know the uh, the epitome of love that we can show Christ is for us to be willing to die for him, mm. not just, you know, every day we should be dying for him in a spiritual sense. Every day we should be looking for opportunities to um love one another, looking for opportunities to uh, put down our ego. So those are those are ways in which we die every day in a spiritual sense. Mm-hmm. But for someone to also be able to bring to mind an actual historical event in which someone was killed because they lived in a place in order to suffer, in order to live for Christ, I think that has a huge impact and an inspiration to help the monastic on a daily basis to keep in mind always what what they are there for. You know, they're there in order to gain the kingdom of heaven. Like it says in the scriptures, you know, Christ says, since since John the Baptist, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Hmm. So when a monastic struggles in that environment where someone else has taken the kingdom of heaven by force through martyrdom, I think that there's few things in this world that can inspire us more to live for Christ and to keep that commitment on a daily basis. Hmm. Do you find that that's something that you've been able to take with you, even though you've returned to Canada? Do you think that that's something that continues to inspire you in your own personal journey? That's a really good question because I find, you know, as the years pass by, sometimes I say to myself, am I just losing what I had more and more, you know, Mm. is it just sort of seeping out of me and I'm not able to retain that intense memory of that grace and of that lifestyle. And sometimes I think that it is hard to, to maintain that mentality because in Canada, it's very secular. So the opportunity a person has to ever speak explicitly about the Christian faith or about Christ there's very few opportunities. Mm. So what I try to do myself in order to always keep these examples in my, in the forefront of my mind is I have a few like tricks that I do. So for example, like when I begin my day, I first read the lives of the saints of the day. So like, for example, today's March 1st, mm-hmm. we celebrate the feast of Saint of the Chia. So on different days of the of the month of the year, we celebrate different saints. So I like to first read their lives in order to be able to call to mind these examples again. You know, maybe it's not an individual who I met, like the sisters who I knew mm. in a personal relationship, but it helps me to call to mind those kinds of examples. And I also have, um, I keep a lot of icons with me that depict saints, that depict Christ, that depict the mother of God. And I keep with me a lot of prayer robes. 
So one of the main main things that you'll find when you visit an Orthodox monastery is how frequently the monastics say what's called the Jesus prayer. Mm-hmm. So this is an ancient prayer that actually is found in the scriptures. Um, for example, you have the Syrophoenician woman who comes to Christ and her daughter's uh, sick. She's possessed with a demon and she says to him, you know, son of son of David, have mercy on me. Or the blind man in Jericho who says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So it's the same prayer. We say, Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or the shorter version, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. So I try to always at least have prayer books with me that that are physical reminders, whether they're on my finger, whether they're on my finger, whether they're on my wrist, mm. that they help me. I you it's a prayer, it's a basically it's a knot that's made of nine series of crosses. And it together it's this prayer rope and the sisters like monastics in general you'll hear all the time going around the monastery so i try to also have that with me because even if my mind wanders of course it wanders very frequently but it's a it's a helpful way to pull my attention back and to emulate the example of the sisters who i got to know so well Hmm. It makes me think of I have a friend who consistently wears a WWJD band around his wrist, you know, and for him, it means what would Jesus do? And so in that situation, he always I used to think it was crazy because we met so many years ago and he was always like saying, okay, what would Jesus do in this situation? And it was almost a reminder, consistent reminder that that was what, you know, he needed to think about in hard situations, in situations where, you know, there was so much emotion, like when he would get upset about things and when things would not be going right, he would go, okay, what would Jesus do in the situation? And I think it is so helpful, like you explained, to have things that help us, you know, like when your mind wanders or when you get over the emotional or when there's so many things happening, to have things that help us because we can often be led into that temptation of the flesh, as we often call it, like to just have those reminders and I think it's so powerful and it can really really help us so I love that you shared that as well and we're going to take a really really quick music break I do not want you the listener to go anywhere because when we get back we're going to be talking about you know what what is the sisterhood like do the sisters get into a little bit of a squabble which we need to talk about or you know what what is really happening out there so don't go anywhere enjoy some music and we'll see you when we get back you're with me, Lauren Jacobs, here on Voice of Change on Radio K Pulpit today. And we are talking about, you know what, life in a female monastery. And I'm joined by Constantina Palmer. Now, Constantina, I did want to ask you that question. You know, we we talk about a sisterhood and, and you mentioned about, you know, 25 women being together. And I was wondering, do these, you know... Ladies, as we know, when we get together, we can sometimes get into tiny little little bit of fights, especially when we've been in each other's space for quite some time. Do the sisters ever get into, you know, these kind of squabbles or are there ever emotions that run a bit high in, in the monastery? Or is it something that they have learned to really, really work through and deal with? From my experience, this was something that I had observed that really surprised me. And I'd asked the sisters once, how come, you know, after all this time that I've spent with you, I've never seen you fight. Mm. And they, the sister that I was speaking to, you know, explained to me, well, I'm sure behind the scenes, 
oftentimes the sisters, like any you know human being who struggles with their passions and with with strong personalities, they might have some kind of a squabble. Hmm. But the the sister explained to me that God protects the people from seeing this. Again, this in, mightn't be universally applied, mm-hmm. but from my experience of years going to the monastery and I had never seen I had never seen an exchange that I could even remotely say, oh something, you know, there's bad blood there. I never saw never witnessed anything like that. So the sister explained to me that it was the grace of God who would really protect the people from seeing that because she said to me, if the people come from the world and all the distractions and difficulties of the world and they come and visit a monastery where they seek prayer and and stillness and peace and and visible signs of love she said if the people were to see us just fighting like everyone else then they would say well what's the difference between the world and the monastery so she said that she believed that god would protect people from seeing that so that they wouldn't be disheartened I think that that's a nice way of putting it. I think, though, real in reality, I think they have also actually worked very hard to conquer those uh, moments and you know, to overcome those moments in which we feel like, you know, snapping back or talking back or mm. or getting upset. They also would be very careful not to gossip about one another. So, two of the sisters that I was close with became novices about around the same time. And they ended up sharing a cell together. A cell in a monastic uh, in a monastic community is like a room, like your room where you stay. But they call it a salakai. So they had, they would share a room, and they had told me that one of the things that they had agreed upon from the very very beginning of their from the onset of their monastic life was that they would never once talk about another sister to each other. That was their agreement. They would be close. They would struggle together. They would consider each other co-strugglers, but they would not talk about another sister. And the reason why they said is because if I have an issue with sister so-and-so and and I come and talk to you about it, then suddenly you have an issue with sister so-and-so. So one of the, one of the really smart and practical things that we also can apply, I believe in our own life is the commitment to not speak badly about someone else. That doesn't mean that they don't reveal their thoughts. Now, monastics have a very close, um, a close-knit relationship with their abbess, the mother of the community. Mm -hmm. So to the abbess, they would treat an abbess similar to the way we would treat a priest in the sense of confessing not only our sins, but also confessing our thoughts. Because when we confess our thoughts, not only, you know, do they have less power over us because those thoughts can be um, influenced by the evil one or they can be influenced even just by our own, you know, sinful inclination. So when we confess our thoughts to the abbess, when we confess our sins, the abbess through prayer is able to help us to navigate those things, to get to get around it. One of the biggest spiritual battles that happens in, in Orthodox Christianity and monasticism in general is the battle against the thoughts So they would confess their thoughts to the abbess, but only to the abbess in the context of a confession, not in the context of gossip. Mm. And then through the prayers of the abbess, things can get sorted out. If a sister is acting in a way that she shouldn't be, then the abbess can deal with that rather than me taking matters into my own hands. So that's how they protect each other and and themselves Mm. from, you know, really 
perpetuating an environment where people don't get along. Hmm. I love what you shared as well with saying that, you know, sometimes when we talk about somebody, you know, it's gossip, but when we talk about it to someone else, suddenly that person develops an issue with someone that they didn't even have an issue with, but because we have that issue with that person, it's almost like we put it on to someone else. And then suddenly that person can have a bad heart towards somebody, but that person didn't do anything bad to them and it's kind of like we start perpetuating this negative bad reality because we said something that we shouldn't have said and I think that that's a lesson that we can probably all learn from because there's so many times people run around and just in that heat of the moment you know you you will be complaining someone else about somebody else and then it becomes a huge problem. And I think that that's, that that's something that we all need to learn. And one of the things that I find, you know, that was so incredibly moving to me when I started reading your book as well, was something, you know, when the, you do something for a sister, you know, even if it's giving them a cup of coffee or tea, whatever, they don't say thank you like we do, but they say something that's so incredible. And that is, may God forgive you for your sins. It's not like they're wishing it, but it's a prayer, you know. And also something that you mentioned in your book as well is that often they will say, you know, please forgive me for anything I said and did that offended you. That doesn't mean that they think that they offended you, but it is these these prayers. And sometimes I think we can say thank you so quickly, but how deep is this when someone actually you do something incredible for somebody or not even incredible. It could be just, you know, handing them a plate of biscuits and they say, mm-hmm. they say something that's a blessing back to you. May God forgive your sins. Not like that is this wish, but it is a prayer. How powerful is that? Those are all of the things that, you know, they seem so minute. You know, a phrase back, may God forgive your sins. Or some of the other phrases that monastics very frequently use, like you had mentioned, forgive me. And, and you know, may it be blessed. Those phrases independently, you know, if you don't think too much about them, they just seem like, oh, it's a monastic idiosyncrasy, you know, Mm. a little unique element of monasticism. But when you really begin to think about the mindset that comes with that, that there's nothing in their life that they don't tie back to God and that there's nothing in their life that they're not thinking of what's the most beneficial thing for the soul. So thank you is, of course, it's polite, it's a good thing, but it's not the most beneficial thing for the soul. The most beneficial thing for the soul is forgiveness of sins, is for God to bless them, is for God to um, show mercy upon them. So all of those little things together, when you really begin to reflect on it, that's what makes up monasticism. That's what shows us that the life of the gospel is found in the little things. It's when we neglect the little things in our spiritual lives, in our daily lives, that the bigger things become problems. And it's also where if we're very mindful and we're very watchful over the small things, over our little small exchanges, may God forgive your sins, may God forgive your sins over our thoughts. That's really where we are going to make huge strides spiritually. It's all in the little things. Mm. I think it's so beautiful, you know, to to live life like that, you know, exactly like you're saying as well, the little things. And actually those things become the big things. But also I think it it brings to mind how mindful we need to be, you know, to think somebody would say to you, please forgive me if I said anything that offended you. It's not 
a way that people live in general. People don't think about whether they've offended someone else or what's best for that person's heart or what's best for their soul. And in actual fact, we should live like that. And I think that is really, really powerful as well. And one of the things that that you said that you wrote is, is actually also so very powerful. It says that a monastery is a refuge for us all. It offers routine, prayer life, companionship and support. And I know that I did for the listeners who aren't on my social media page, I did a recent poll just before Constantine and I were going to do this conversation. And I asked my followers, how many of you have ever wanted to visit a monastery or live in a monastery or stay there or or have a retreat there? And over 75% of the people answered and said, yes, I want to. And there was this drawing towards wanting to go and, you know, have a retreat or go to a monastery for a little bit. And I think that that shows exactly what you're saying here is how a monastery does in our mind, even though we haven't been there, maybe we don't have a frame of reference for it. It is a place of refuge. It is a place that seems to to have a sense of peace and stillness that resides there. And Constantina, do you think that that's what draws people towards a monastery, towards that way of life, even though people may not be orthodox or they may be from different denominations or faith? there's this almost drawing and I think it encapsulates so much of what you said here this routine this prayer life companionship support peace stillness as well do you think that that's what really draws people towards even visiting or retreating there and actually not wanting to leave when they have to leave I think it definitely contributes to it I think that you know by nature we look for the most excellent examples of the things that we value. So if you value sports, you honor the people who are really, really good at sports. Mm. If you value the the gospel and the way of Christ, you, you especially are impressed and look to associate yourself with those who live the most intense version of the gospel, and that's the monastics do. So people are drawn to the monastery not only because it it really does give us some reprieve, it gives us an opportunity in the stillness of a monastery, without the distractions of the world, without the distractions of our daily life, to reflect on ourselves, to reflect on, you know, are we the people that we want to be? Are we living the way that we wish to live? Or are we just going through the motions of of our day so busy and so distracted that we never have a chance to really reflect on these things. So in the stillness of the monastery, I think it's really helpful that people are able to reflect on themselves, that they're able to just take a deep breath and feel a, a comfort that's, that is there, that's just present. Like I talked about that holy space, that sacred space that's there at the monastery. Mm. But I think also there's an element that people are drawn to monastics because they live these really radical lives. You know, St. John the Baptist was radical. Mm. We have the prophets. We have these people who lived really different lives, who called upon people to repent, who were not afraid of the authorities of the day. I mean, all of the prophets got put to death Mm. because they would speak with a boldness that people didn't like, but their life was so radical. It was so committed to to God and to the way of the the way of life that God had given to us in the revelations of of prophet Moses 
And I think it's also that kind of radical lifestyle that we're drawn to. So in the gospel, Christ talks about the seed that falls on good ground and and some spring up, you know, 30-fold and some 60-fold and some 100-fold. The monastics are the 100-fold. They are the highest version that we can find of the apostolic faith of the life in Christ. And I think that itself really draws us to visit the monasteries because even if we don't get a chance to speak with an individual monastic. It might just be that we visit a monastery, we light a candle, we go into the church, we say some quiet prayers by ourselves. We might even have the opportunity to attend a service. Hmm. Even that, though, is so helpful for us. But the example of a monastic, whether you speak to that person or not, it's really something that testifies to the fact that becoming holy, becoming a saint, like St. Saint Paul, like Paul the Apostle talks about, these things are all possible. And a monastic reminds us of that. Okay, maybe I'm only going to yield 30 folds of a good, healthy, you know, wheat, hmm. but I can still produce 30 folds. And that's, I think, what, what also really is inspiring about a monastery, because you go there and you say, okay, if this person can give up you know, the the worldly comforts, if they can wear black clothing, if they can focus all of their attention on Christ, well, then I can do a micro version of that in my own life. And I really think that's a big attraction as well as the things that you had mentioned about why a person is attracted to visit a monastery. And then you come out and you say, oh, you know, my batteries are charged. I am very inspired and I can go back and face the things in my life that sometimes are are very difficult and yet still retain a strong commitment to Christ and to my Christian life. Mm. And do the sisters enjoy people visiting? Sometimes I think some people would feel, well, if I go visit a monastery, you know, because the sisters live there, I might be, you know, kind of intruding or I might not, you know, how am I going to be? Do they enjoy people coming to visit the monastery, even if it's like you said, maybe just for a service or if it's for a short retreat? Is that kind of the whole essence so to speak this hospitality and this giving nature that they have is that something that is you know welcome people to come and visit and and to be part of it in a small way absolutely you had mentioned hospitality and that's one of the biggest things about orthodox monasticism is their desire to be able to be hospitable to be able to host people to be able to offer what they have even if it's something small you know, the the basically the spiritual grandmother, let's say, of this sisterhood, she would tell her nuns, always make sure that when someone leaves our monastery, they leave with something, even if it's a slice of bread, because they were so committed to being able to offer some form of love, even in their complete poverty, you know? But it's again, like they say in the scriptures, they're they're poor but making others rich. And that's what monastics are like. So they love that opportunity to be able to serve people. But not only that, monastics understand how much people in the world struggle, how difficult it can be. And so I think they also really gain a lot of joy in knowing that when people come visit the monastery, that they receive grace for that, whether it's a short trip, like you said, or a longer a longer stay. When they go to a monastery, you know, they receive 
a blessing from God. They receive a blessing from the saint whose monastery it is. And that, I think, makes monastics even more happy because they know that whether the person sees it or not, they're still going to get a tangible blessing from that experience. So I would say definitely they love they love to have visitors. And it's also helpful, too. I mean, this this definitely would be further down on their list of why they would love to have visitors. But it's important for us to know that that's also how they will sustain themselves by Mm -hmm. people coming, by donating money, by maybe buying some things in their bookstore to help support them. So that's alms that we as people in the world can give Mm -hmm. uh, for for the benefit of the monastic sisterhood um, or brotherhood. And the sisters themselves find value in that, not only because they're able to help themselves in a material sense, but because they know the value that giving alms has for an individual person. And we know that from the scriptures as well, Mm -hmm. that, you know, to give with a cheerful, cheerful heart is so valuable for for us. So Mm -hmm. the sisterhood, the the monastic brotherhood, they benefit. And so do we from our, from our gift. I love that so much, what you just shared. And Constantina, I want to say thank you so much for, you know, giving of yourself today to us to just be learning and to be hearing and to be, you know, having our hearts stirred. I know that there are people listening that do and have for a while desired to visit a monastery and probably we answered some of their questions today. So I want to say thank you for being with me. And in closing, I know that this is a season for many people of Lent and this is a season where others are observing times of fasting and abstaining from things and times of prayer and this is an important time period for many many people so I would love to ask you you know if there was one lesson that you wanted to share with everybody who's listening during this time period what would that lesson be for the listeners today I guess the one lesson that I would want to share is I would want I would want your listeners to know like I learned from the sisters not to give in to despondency, don't give in to despair, don't let yourself feel so burdened down by the things that go wrong in your life. Remember always that even out of the most difficult, even out of a martyrdom, God will always bring good out of that and that it's about what benefits our soul. It's not about what will benefit our body, which will pass away. It's about what will benefit our soul. And those times of difficulty, maybe even of dryness, where we don't feel particularly close to God, those are the things that can be catalysts for us to draw so much closer to God, for us to become so much better versions of ourselves with the help of God, through the prayers of the monastics who uphold us. So I think what I would most want people to take away, the lesson that I learned from my own personal experience, is that just like Moses, when he lifted up his hands and he prayed, and the Israelites were saved from the Amal- from the Amalites, mm. it's the same thing with the monastics. They lift up their hands in prayer, and we are saved, we are helped, we are benefited through the prayers of the monastic to live for Christ every day, even in the small things. So that's what I would hope most, that, that that's the lesson you could take away. That's the lesson I took away. And every day to try to remind myself that I'm upheld by the prayers of these holy monastics who are struggling to produce a hundredfold and gain entrance not only for themselves, but for everyone in the world into the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. 
Constantina, thank you so, so much for that and for really, really encouraging us today not to give in to despondency. I know that I guess the last year has been really, really hard for everybody, especially with COVID and there's been so many lockdowns and so many losses in so many ways. But again, just this reminder, you know, you know, God is in control of all of it. And I want to say thank you for being with me on Voice of Change. May you and your husband be super blessed as you continue to serve everyone who is in your path right there where you are. May you be blessed. May God just be with you. And again, thank you for being on the show today and take care. Thank you very much. I'm not sure if you've visited Greece or the Mediterranean coast at all. And if you have, you've probably, you know, been in one of those hired cars driving along the coast and maybe driving, you know, through different provinces and noticing all the beautiful monasteries that are lined along the way. And now you're probably hoping and wishing that you had stopped at one of those monasteries. There's always time, you know what, to go on back there, you know, once COVID dies down a little bit, once it goes away a little bit and, you know, go and visit those monasteries you know of course like I said once COVID has sort of started ebbing away from us so that we can keep everybody safe but it is so incredibly incredibly inspiring to me to be hearing about the sisterhood that lives in the monasteries the monastic life and the lessons that Constantina has been sharing with us today about deep things that are learned through living in a monastery daily living for these women involves all of these lessons that we are starting to glean from and learn from and it's so so important and I want to really just echo today as I just come to the end of Voice of Change the show went so quickly today but I really want to echo what she shared and and just saying not to give in to that despondency and I want to encourage you with that today I want to also encourage you with the lessons that we learned today you know commit to not speaking bad about others commit to not complaining consistently about those things that are inside of you that can be negative or woundedness or the bitterness but you rather you know go and deal with those things and I think that that also you know connects with life that is lived in the monastery for us you know we have spiritual leaders or elders or deacons or our pastor or our faith leader or spiritual counselors our spiritual mother our spiritual father that we can go to and we can take these things too and we can say please help us you know we really need to just pray together like the bible says confess our sins to one another and we can do that and we can come together and we can also just be encouraged not to go around complaining and talking about people but to really really deal with what's going on inside of us and to deal with those thoughts to get to a point where we are actually being mature in how we are dealing with these things I think that's so important and again I pray that if you're in a time of prayer and fasting I know some people are doing the Daniel fast the Esther fast during this time also people are in a time of Lent a lot of people I know do that even as Pentecostal Christians they do that just to get into a place of preparing ourselves for what is coming in the next few weeks and so if you are doing that if you are praying for your family in this time or fasting to get closer to Abba Father may he just richly bless you may our Messiah make his face to shine upon you and may you become exactly what he wants you to become on this earth in this world right now in this generation be blessed it's been so great to be with you on voice of change next week we're going into some really really intense ground we're going to be talking about the recent Ravi Zacharias scandal and what this actually is meaning for victims and survivors at this time you don't want to miss it next week Thursday on voice of change see you then Mm -hmm. 
This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit on 7 to 9 a.m. Visit us on www.kpulpit.co.za.